Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Instead of trying to make your life perfect, give yourself the freedom to make it an adventure and go ever upward. Drew Houston. We uh, we eventually get up there. I'm I'm really worn out, and the the sun caught us. So now it's dark. The clouds come in. Temperature drops. It me uh, the my my uh, the the hiking guide is now like all right. Let's uh, let's try to wait this out because it starts even sprinkling on us. So. Not it got me and him. We get you know we're start cuddling pretty much you know next to this rock just hiding down because the wind is coming across. You know you're thousands and thousands of uh, uh, feet up, so it's like it's coming in. It's freezing. I didn't bring gloves. I didn't bring anything because we had just dropped all our stuff off at uh, the base camp, and I didn't even think. I didn't put it all together, so I had nothing, nothing on this hike. I'm Doc. And this is the John Freaking Mirpod. Welcome to the John Freaking Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and Renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail, dirt bags and hiker trash. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freaking Muir Pod. Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take, take just a minute, help us out, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just keep that to yourself. This week, I'm talking to world traveler, author, blogger, and adventurer, Joshua Bigger. And actually, I just learned in our, uh, our, our pre-interview talk here that I'm also talking to a world record holder and a doctor as well. So welcome to the John Freaking Muir Pod, Joshua. How's it going? It's going pretty good. Thank you for having me. Okay. Now, in America, there is this unique um, tradition of assigning trail names to people that have been out on the trail based on you know something in their past, some, some peculiarity that, or some, some action that happens uh, on the trail. In all of your world travels, have you managed to pick up a trail name? 
no, I really haven't picked up a trail name, but I mean, if I mean, if they were gonna do a trail name, it'd have to be Bigger's World because it just it just surrounds me with everything nowadays. That's right, Bigger's World. So what if we what if we just go with Bigger's for the the sake of this podcast? Because we could usually go by trail names. Yeah, that works for me. Bigger's is that is that a common uh, way that you are referenced in real life? It is because after being, uh, I'm, I'm retired from the army. So after being, you know, military retired, we always go by last names, no matter what. Okay. And it's Biggers with an S. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. All right. Hey, have you had a chance to listen to the podcast before, Biggers? Um, I actually hadn't listened to it before me and you got connected. And then I started listening to clips here and there. And I, I love here. I love watching and like listening to people's takes from all over the world and, and uh, you know, doing different hiking because there's so many different levels of hiker. You know, I'm probably one of the lower levels of hiker when uh, when it comes to it. But then hearing, you know, my views on a certain hike and then, you know, someone that's a 10 on the hiker view, it's really crazy to like really listen to all I love it. OK, so so you brought up the, the, the ranking system right there. Someone who's a 10. If we were to rank you in terms of uh, hiking, professional hiking knowledge on a scale of one to 10, where, where does Biggers fall? Ooh, probably an unbelievably, I mean, incredible four and a half. I mean, a solid four and a half. Solid four and a half. Love it. Love it. Hey, I only ask if you had listened because I want to make sure you're aware of a segment towards the end of the episode called the Pro Tip Insight of the Week. And that's where I will turn to you and ask you to share some trail wisdom or travel wisdom with our listeners to make their next trip even better. So don't be surprised when we get there. Okay, sounds good. All right. The must bring gear review. Oh, hey, that was uh, my youngest daughter there, half calf, helping me out with uh, segment introductions. It's the must bring gear review. So that's another feature we've been doing recently. And this is sponsored by the ultralight backpacking gear company, Six Moon Designs. And so here's how it works, figures. If you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for either a multi-day hike or for a, a trip to one of the far reaches of the world, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So Biggers, what's your must bring piece of gear? Well, I'm glad that you, uh, I'm glad that you really specified that. Cause at first I was about to go peanut M&Ms, but I'm glad that we got it. <laughs> um, but I would that's a say solid that, choice. That's a solid choice, by the way. You know, a lot of times when you're hiking, it's just something that takes your mind off the pain sometimes for sure. Mm -hmm. But, um, when I, if I'm going to go at a must pack, I mean, it's, it's boots, it, it's the right boots. And, and I'm, I'm a Merrill guy. I always have been, uh, you know, through the army and after the army, just, you got to have a great, got to have a great pair of boots on your, uh, on your feet, or there is, there's very little that's worse in the pain department than your feet at the end of a bad hike, you know, a good hike or a bad hike either way. That's right. That's right. I mean, if the feet are hurting, you're not enjoying the hike, you can't concentrate on anything, but, but, uh, the next step of pain you're going to take. 100%. Yeah. Now, are there a lot of parallels between military service and hiking? I mean, you, you guys do the, the physical work out there. You know, there is in, uh, you know, there's this actually this one competition that always it always brings back memories. It's called the uh, the German Armed Forces competition. And it involves a 20 mile hike at the end. And uh, it's, you know, it, it was probably my it was probably the beginning of my, you know, my hiking journey was get it was uh, competing in that competition. And that's also the first time I uh, found out what hiking blisters were when I got down to the end and, and everything. And that's kind of the reason I always bring up the, you know, the perfect boots. Cause when that happened, it was young in my military career. And 
it, it was an amazing thing because the 20 mile hike is at the very end. And it's like, once you complete it, then you get the, the big gold Eagle and you just feel so proud, but man, there's been multiple people and you can even look it up on like uh, on YouTube channels. So like, if you just look up German armed forces badge, you can see some of the, uh, the, the people just falling across the finish line because I mean, a 20 mile hike for it, for an avid hiker, that's nothing really, but for an, a regular person, 20 miles is a lifetime. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. As the, the long trail through hikers, you know, the, doing the PCT or the AT or the continental divide trail, you know, they may start out with 20 mile days, but by the time they're finished, they're, they're logging, you know, 30, 35, 40 plus mile days. Like it's oh, yeah. nobody's business. Now I imagine that in, in the army, everything is, is issued all your equipment, all your clothing, everything is issued by the, by the government, by the army. Correct. Yes. Including your boots. They are, but, um, as uh, I would say, it, it's gotten, it's become a lot different over the years, but once you get issued boots, but you can go out and buy better boots. And that's kind of how I got introduced to Merrill because they had a, I don't know if it was Merrill or a subsidiary company that uh, made some really good boots and they had great zippers on the bottom and they were, they were amazing hiking boots. And I still, uh, I still use them uh, to this day. I actually just threw out a pair the uh, like last week because they had, I've had them for 10 years. And uh, I need a new pair now, but uh, yeah, you can, you can get some really good hiking boots that also will work in your uniform as well. Okay. Cause I was just thinking, you know, you mentioned foot pain and just having to deal with some kind of general issue uh, boot that everybody else was wearing, you know, uh, didn't sound too attractive. Oh, oh yeah. And like basic training AIT and you're like your OSET training. No, no, you, you are in the issued U S army boot. As you're doing all the hiking and there is nothing you could do. And the, the the worst part about it is, you know, the boots are only made one way, but, you know, some people have arches, some people don't, some people are flat footed and it doesn't matter because when you go in, sorry, that's part right. of the rules. Everyone's got to have the exact same attire. So everyone has the exact same amount, you know, a chance of succeeding in basic yeah. and AIT training. Right. I mean, if you go on to hiker social media, uh, whatever that looks like, a lot of the discussion focuses on footwear. So you talk about people having different feet and different preferences that that is a very real thing. And there's a lot of discussion about, you know, what you should put on your foot and, and uh, where you should look. So uh, having that, that single one size fits all, that sounds uh, not like a, not like a whole lot of fun. So. Yeah, for sure. You know, but you know, it kind of does, it's the army way in the beginning, everyone is the same. You know, that's the whole point of it. When you're going through basic training, IT, they want to simplify the process and make everyone as equal as possible when you're going through things. So then if you can, and you know, your feet are just like anything else. They will, uh, they will evolve. They will adjust as you know, you get better and stronger with it. But I'll tell you what, I would definitely always prefer a nice pair of Merrill hiking boots over a military issue boots any day. All right. Hey, let's keep talking about gear. It's the Hawking Pole. With this seven-question survey I'm going to ask you, this is a, a, a questionnaire that's going to help me determine what level of crazy you are from a scale of one to 100, with actually 100 being completely sane and number one being completely bonkers. And again, we can adjust this to apply to any of the hiking that you've done or how you would apply it to hiking, or you could also uh, kind of apply it to kind of your world adventures and, and traveling. So feel free to go in any direction you want on these. Uh, first question is trekking poles when you're out there hiking. Yes or no? Uh, no. No. And why do you say that? I, I don't know. I just, you know, I've never, I've never been a, a, a trekking pole person. I, I don't know if it was 
you know, I was introduced to it with my grandfather. I remember he took me on me, my first hike when I was like, you know, maybe eight or nine. And he would always have like two of them. And I don't know if I associated that with the elderly. And I'm like, I'll never have a trekking pole. And I don't know if that just got in my mind or something, but I've just really never, I've just never really used one. And anytime someone's given me one, you know, I, uh, I generally just play with it in my hands, you know, like just twirling it around and stuff rather than actually using it for what it is. And I mean, that could be the reason I'm always in pain after hikes. This could be opening my eyes to things. You know, Dr. Biggers, you know, uh, you know what I really enjoyed about that answer is I asked you the question and it was just a very definitive. Uh, no, no, not, <laughs> no. <Mm-mm. laughs> that was great. That was great. Okay. Next question. Boots or trail runners? Uh, boots. Boots. And you've mentioned the Merrells. So yeah, definitely the Merrells. And I think it's also because, um, and, and I could be, uh, you know, there might be trail runners that go on, but I like uh, my boots to be a little higher on my leg. I prefer some that are well over the ankle, if not even, you know, closer to my shin, if not halfway up my shin. I, that could also be a, a military thing. You mm-hmm. know, all the military boots, that's the way they're built. And uh, maybe that's just, you know, I had to wear those for, you know, decades and decades, many, many years. So, uh, but yeah, I, I kind of prefer a, a boot that goes pretty, pretty far up my leg. Okay. So mid shin, maybe not, maybe not thigh high boots. Yeah. Not thigh high. No. Okay. <laughs> thigh All right. High. Just, just clear. <laughs> All right. Now preferred sleep system. You can even apply your military experience to this. So uh, not, not sleep system, shelter system, preferred shelter system, tent, tarp, hammock, bivy, or cowboy camping. Um, probably going to go tent actually, you know, just, uh, it's, I, I get it. You know, tents take up more room than probably the, the the tarp or even the hammock. You can make it, you know, I'm super small nowadays, but I've never been a hammock sleeper either. The, I can sleep on the ground flat very, very well, but I can't sleep in a hammock. And I, the people that can do it, I all that's amazing for them. It's kind of like people that can, you know, sleep on buses and airplanes. That ain't happening for me. But yeah, if hammocks, you can, that's amazing. Hammocks, I could take a fantastic nap in a hammock. If I have to sleep overnight in a hammock, not going to happen. Oh, I learned that one the hard way. At uh, we'll get to it later, but it's a, I just thought of another big hike in Havasu Falls in Arizona. When we did that one, I um, I, I we we only brought hammocks because my buddy's like, "Don't worry, dude, I'll help you. You'll be able to sleep in the hammock. Worst sleep ever, miserable." All right, next question: sleeping bag or quilt? Uh, sleeping bag. Sleeping bag, traditionalist. Yeah, well, also military. You're issued one doing AIT. So I've had I've had a sleeping bag since I was 17 years old. And okay. just forever. And for our for our listeners and for the host, AIT stands for? Uh, it's like, it's the training you go to after basic. So AIT is all about uh, like your advanced training. So whatever okay. your, um, your job is going to be, then you go through it. So, you know, hypothetically say you're going to be a trash man in the military you got to go to trash school say you're going to be an accountant you got to go to accountant school just whatever your schooling is afterwards makes sense makes sense okay this question very important dr biggers uh huge point deduction if you answered incorrectly you ready okay all right when it comes to food stove cold soak or stoveless and if you need help with defining any of those terms just let me know uh well, I'm going to go stoveless right off the bat because uh, I'm an MRE guy. I bet I, you know, and all my, on all the long hikes I've done, 
And again, this goes back to military. MRAs are where it's at, man. I don't, I don't need, no, I don't need no stove. I don't need nothing. I, you give me a, a good old fashioned MRA, and it's funny how many people lo- hate them. I know a lot of uh, people I've met, they can't stand them. I love them. I have bought them before. I'm not kidding you. I've actually done first dates where I told a girl I was going to cook for her and we ate MREs. She didn't like it that much, but she thought the thought was really, really funny because I find them actually pretty delicious. I don't know why. Now, Biggers, was there a second date after that? Uh, Yeah, no, there was a couple more dates. Okay. Actually. And I actually right. did cook for her eventually, <laughs> but it's like, you know, I think I thought it was funny. And, uh, but you know, yeah, it's kind of just, um, it's a thing where I don't know if it's, you know, they just get a bad rap or whatnot, but I've had a lot of really good ones too. There's, we had, there is that one you never want. I remember the horror stories in the military and it, it's the, it's the eggs. You never want to get the egg one. You never want to see the eggs because man, those, those are horrible, but everything else is that's all right. So is it a surprise? I mean, is it, are they unlabeled? It just, you know, no, no, MRE no. and you open it up and it's like, hey, surprise, this is what we're no, 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 it's labeled. It's labeled whatever the entree is. So if it's like Chili Mac, it says Chili Mac on it. But then once you've done them enough and you've eaten enough, like there's one that's called that. I like the chili one because the chili one can't, comes with a huge pack of jalapeno cheese. It comes with um, regular M&Ms and it just comes with like stuff that I enjoy. And and not to mention when you when you pack them the right way. And this goes back into, um, it's funny, we're talking about MREs. Uh, when I, I did Burning, I've done Burning Man a few times. And I've taken MREs to Burning Man because I just, I, I enjoy them. But, you know, I would say I'm definitely the minority in that group. I don't think there's a lot of people that are going to watch this and be like, yeah, MRE power. I don't think they're going to be doing that. You know, there was, I did, I, I interviewed a guest who her boyfriend wanted to get going on hiking, backpacking, and they didn't do a whole lot of research. And when it came to food, she went and she tried to find MREs because I think that was uh, maybe in her background as well. And she couldn't find them anywhere trying to buy them in bulk. And, you know, if you load up 10 MREs, I mean, how much does an MRE weigh? I mean, it's probably, uh, you know, I would say at least 10 ounces, 16 ounces. I mean, it's, it's, I don't think it's super, super light. Yeah. Body means, but th- th- that's kind of the only issue would be loading up. I think MREs would be very good for a three day hike or a four day hike because also an MRE is built to where it has all the food and nutrition you need for the entire day. Mm-hmm. So you could eat this breakfast, lunch, and dinner the same MRE in theory. Like, obviously, a lot of people would, you know, could overindulge there, but and that's kind of what makes it a difficult. But um, I found I can find them on eBay a lot. Yeah. Yeah, eBay is where I usually go if I if I need some. And MRE, do you know the, the uh, what the initials stand for? Oh, absolutely not. Not <laughs> even close. <laughs> not even close. Uh, but I'm thinking I, uh, maybe military recreational uh, expenditure, <laughs> something like that. I will put it in the show notes after after we're done here. So we'll we'll put that we'll uh, we'll spell that out. Okay. Yeah. All right. Hey, this next question. Life is better above or below the tree line? Finally, we got one that can kind of, that's a tough one there. Because, I mean, the first thing I'm thinking about is safety-wise. And if I'm thinking safety-wise, I'm going above the tree line all day long. But, you know, beauty-wise, I would say it's probably beneath the tree line. Because, I mean, I love animals and seeing all that stuff. Um, but if I had to choose, 
I'd go above the tree line for pretty much everything because you can you can see things coming. That's one of the big things with me and hiking and camping. I'm always kind of and this could be the military watch eye or whatnot, but right. you know, I'm always trying to watch my surroundings, always observing on this. Not to mention some of the places like uh, uh, in Brazil when we were, we were down there and we snakes are everywhere. And that, and that, that goes into why I like those boots that we were talking about earlier. I have a huge, I, even when I mow my lawn and like I weed eat a, the, the, some of my acres, I have these shin guard things that go completely around my leg to watch me. Cause I do not want to get bit by a snake. Like that is, Oh, that's a, that's a tough one for me. That's when those thigh high boots would come in handy. Yeah. I mean, yeah, right. Yeah, that and you know, any neighbors that drove by would be yeah. like, Ooh, look at that guy, the thigh high boots going on over here. Now you said that the, the beauty is below the tree line, but you know, Hey, look, look at my background here. Yeah. I mean, definitely. That all, that's all above the tree line. That's, that's above 10,000 feet. That's in the, in the Sierras, man, there's, I, I love the beauty above the tree line as well. Really? Yeah. I think, I think when I look at beauty though, it's like, cause I was actually thinking of that when you're uh, um, you know, the, any type of skylines as well is just can be gorgeous, but I feel like it's just like animal. Like a lot of times I associate the beauty of like nature with animals and seeing unless animals, a, unless it's a snake. And this is a snake, man. <laughs> the snakes are the only one because they're just so they're ninjas. Ninjas, they just come out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, we're in their environment, right? So absolutely. Yep. All right. Last question. What's more important, pack weight or luxury items? Oh, pack weight. Yeah, I'm not trying to I when when I talk about uh me at the four and a half at the uh, hiker that it goes more that's just more about simplicity for me. Like if someone I've I've went on hikes before where someone's like, Hey, we're going on a hike tomorrow and I'll get one of those little string backpacks. The last time I did Akatenango, the, the hike we'll get, we'll get into later. I've done it twice. And the, the time I just did it last year, I did it with a string backpack, nothing else, just a string backpack. And people were looking at me like I was a crazy person, but I had good shoes and I had my M&Ms. I didn't need anything else. That's it. Uh, you know, that's it. Couple things. Number one, you, you've said uh, Akatenango a couple of times before the interview and now once in the interview, that's just a really fun word to say, right? It is. It is a it kind of rolls well, off the tongue. Well, and then when you go into all of them, just Pacaya, Acatenango, Fuego, they're all like just awesome names in hikes in Guatemala. And it's just like they, they definitely whoever named those, I give them, I give them that thumbs up right there. That's a, that's a hundred percent thumbs up. Nice. And second, I, I one of my favorite guests on the podcast who's been on multiple times is uh, Ben Vaughn. He's ex-military. He was, he finished his service as a Lieutenant commander in the Navy and he got it in his mind that he wanted to do the Appalachian trail. Somebody gave him a, a book 10 years prior to his retirement and it got him hooked. And so for 10 years, he stewed on the, the wanting to do this 2,200 mile hike along the East coast. And so he, when he retired, he said he, he sold everything, got rid of everything. He put together a pack and being ex-military, he was prepared he had three of everything in case the first two went bad, right? So he 100%. had he had like a 60-pound pack. He shows up down there to Springer Mountain with a 60-pound pack. This is his first long trail. He's since gone on to, to hike all three of the long trails and become a triple crowner. But he met up with a guy named Scrapbook, who was 21 years old at the time. And unbeknownst to Gingerballs, which was Ben's trail name eventually, yeah. unbeknownst to Gingerballs, Scrapbook, uh, this was his third long trail. He'd already done the PCT and the CDT. 
and he knew what he was doing. And his pack was about 13 pounds. And the two of them, this is the funniest image in, in, in my mind. The two of them meet for the first time at spring around. They eventually become great friends. Um, but they are each looking at each other thinking, oh, this guy's never going to make it. Ben's looking at Scrapbook and he's got this little puny pack on. He's like, oh, this guy's not going to survive out there. And Scrapbook, the youngster with all the trail knowledge and wisdom is looking at Ben going, oh my gosh, a 60 pound pack. This guy is going to die out there. So really, really oh, funny. Without a doubt. And, you know, I, I guarantee you when we, uh, when we started that hike in uh, last year, uh, no one really knew that I'd already done it. So they're all, and they all had their full hiking gear. I'm talking, you know, you know, 30, 40 pounds on their back. And I had maybe three. So I'm sure they were looking at me like, who is this guy? And I'm, but, you know, it's different for some people too. Like, you know, after you do enough hikes, eventually you, you realize that we always, even when I travel, I always pack more than I need, always. And you only need so much, especially on an, you know, a weekend hike. A weekend hike, you could almost, you could survive naked for, for 48 hours if you had to. It's only a weekend hike. And I think that's the difference with your, the guy with the ginger balls, like you're talking about. He was going for 2,200 miles. Like this is a, this is a little different hike in it. It is kind of crazy that you said the scrapyard guy, like a 13 mats. That, that's light for a, such a big hike, but he obviously knew what he was doing for sure. Yeah. Yep. All right. Got, I've got a score for you. I got to, I got to do a little bit complicated math here to arrive at your, your craziness <laughs> scale. So we're going to carry the four, going to multiply by the square root of two. Divide that by pi, and it's a solid 73, 73. So Bye. congratulations, Dr. Biggers. That's uh, that's not too outrageous in either direction. And you know, it kind of coincides with your your solid 4.5 that you gave you know, yourself it does. earlier. Yeah, it does. You know, I think it's a solid score. It's, you know, it's that score where, you know, you could tell your friend if, you, if you're about to hike, you know, 28 miles, don't ask me. But if you're about to hike six, yeah, bring me along. I'm in. I mean, I get it. It's all about the context. All about the context. 100%. Okay. Hey, before we get too far down the trail, uh, really want to hear about your your origin story, kind of where you grew up, your background, kind of sports and hobbies. Tell us a little bit about your military service, where you where you served, and how you got involved in maybe not maybe not the through hiking cult, but the world world traveling cult. I mean, you, okay. you kind of uh, gave it all up and uh, took the leap and, and have just been going all around the world recently. So what's your, yeah. let's hear about your background. So uh, I, I kind of, I guess we have to do the shortened version and we'd be here for about 14 hours. Um, so, the, I, you know, I started off a traveler when I was born. I was born uh, in Bermuda. We're going way back. Uh, yeah, yeah. So just real quick, but my father did. No, it's okay. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> my uh, my dad, he did a tour in Antarctica in the Navy. And afterwards, he got to choose anywhere in the world he wanted to live. And he chose Bermuda. So I was uh, blessed enough to, you know, be born on a beautiful island and kind of being born abroad. And then uh, fast forward a bunch, you know, then uh, we lived in California for a while and then Florida. And then I uh, joined the military right out of high school. As soon as we got out, as soon as I, I mean, I, I still remember skipping a algebra class to take the ASVAB test to go into the military. And I didn't even want to go in the military. I just didn't want to take the exam I had in algebra. <laughs> now, no did, you, did you go to school in California? No, uh, Florida. Florida, Florida. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. California was more for like uh, elementary, middle school. And then we Got ended it. up going over to Florida. And okay. um, yeah, I was walking down the hall and the, the, the 
recruiter could see that I didn't want to go to class. He's like, hey, I can get you out the whole day. And I'm like, what? And he's like, and I'll give you pizza. I'm like, I'm in. I'm done. It's, it's good. You said so, sign me up. You said you said sign me up. And that's that's what happened. Yep. Took the ASVAB test, uh, scored uh, rather well. And then uh, when they then they start offering you things and throwing money your way. And before you know it, uh, U.S. Army, here I come. <laughs> um, so then I joined the Army, um, was in there almost uh, almost 11 years. Then uh, we did uh, did a couple tours in Af- Afghanistan, Kuwait and Kyrgyzstan. And then uh, a couple tours up at the Pentagon as well. And then I got hurt on my last one. So they, uh, I was, uh, I was medically retired afterwards and, uh, you know, it, it hurt because, you know, no one wants to, you know, no one wants to be retired out because I thought I was in the military the rest of my life. But, uh, but then it ended up opening up so many other things. So then I was able to get my bachelor's and my, uh, my MBA and then move on to my doctorate afterwards. And I may have never been able to do that if I wasn't retired from, uh, the military. Um, and then also after, um, I got retired from the military. You know, you are kind of, when you've been doing the same thing for a decade, you kind of get a little lost. So then I just bought a one-way ticket to Bangkok, Thailand, like everybody uh, on your first trip. And boom, that, that started. And then one thing led to another and the next thing. And then five years later, I've been over 130 plus countries in all 50 states and going with it from there. Okay. And you just recently got your doctorate. I mean, it's, it's, it's fairly fresh, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. About, uh, just about five months, four or five months ago. And, uh, I was writing my doctorate the entire, you know, the whole time I was traveling as well, uh, or my dissertation, my doctoral dissertation. And it was, you know, and that's one thing I always love to uh, talk to people about because, you know, especially Americans, a lot of Americans, they, they think so much goes into traveling. They don't think they can do it and stuff like that. But I mean, and I, I'm not, I'm not saying there aren't your exceptions, but, you know, I was going full time to school, running a business and traveling. You can do it. You can. But it takes that one big decision of, all right, I'm going. And I was more scared than ever when uh, I was probably more scared getting on that one way ticket to Bangkok than I was my first tour in Afghanistan. Wow. And it's just like because you you have nothing once you sell everything and you and you take that leap, you know. And also when you're when you're going to Afghanistan, you got all your you got all your boys and your in your your uh, everyone behind you, everyone that's in your unit. Mm-hmm. When you're going, when you buy that one way ticket, it's just you in a, in, a, in a country that you don't know the language and you don't know the people, you don't know the customs. So it was uh, it was definitely a trial, trial and error process for the for the next few years, for sure. Right. And what is your doctorate in um, sociological human behavior? So okay. my, uh, you're a, you're a student of people then you, you, uh, yeah. And, and it kind of worked out really well, to be honest, because my dissertation was written on uh, combat veterans transitioning back into the civilian workplace. So studying and, and interviewing so many, it really was really cool to, you know, it, it was something that I'm truly passionate about. And then also something that just gives me even more, uh, you know, and allows me to give back to the community that, that I love so much, both traveling and veterans. Right. Now, that's interesting because I know I've talked to a lot of folks who have done uh, a fair amount of hiking and they've come out of military service. And uh, a lot of times there are folks out there who are working on things um, because when you're out there hiking, you know, even if you're with a group of people, not everybody hikes at the same speeds. You're spending a lot of time by yourself and inside your own head and kind of sorting stuff out. 
And, you know, that applies to you know, veterans as well as other people who are, have, have uh, things in their life that they want to focus on and, and kind of work through. Do you yeah. think travel took that same kind of approach for you? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. It did. And, you know, it, it also makes you really uh, begin to trust yourself and your own instincts when you're when you're traveling, because, yeah, you're when it comes down to it, you're you're the only one there. Yeah, you know, and I I have met amazing people all over the world, you know, that came to, you know, I've had issues where, I, you know, I needed to get somewhere and I could not speak the language. And then I use body language before I know it. I meet some amazing people and they can't speak my language. I can't speak theirs, but we end up finding me a way to get to wherever I need. And it's just it's phenomenal. But that all comes from, you know, learning to trust yourself. I would love to watch those interactions, just trying to communicate uh, back and forth with each other non-verbally to get to get from point well, A to point B. That had to be fun. And, you know, body language is the true, uh, you know, universal language mm-hmm. without a doubt. Yep. All right. Hey, Biggers, what are you doing to pay the bills? How do you finance your trips? Uh, well, so I, uh, I'm a professor right currently um, and I, I do it remotely. So being a remote professor is, is amazing. So at least, at least going through all those years of school, you know, once you went through school for 10, 12 years, you're like, man, I hope this pays off. So at least that does help uh, pay off. But also when I was traveling, I started my website and I started a few different websites that, you know, people go to get their information and stuff like that. And um, I also have a really good uh, email program where I can, um, you know, I send out hundreds and hundreds of emails to different hotels and hostels and Airbnbs and once you learn how to market with the, with a lot of the individuals that work on those things, you your stays can all be free. And uh, you know, it took it was like I said, it was trial and error after a while. But traveling abroad, I mean, I I have I have like records that show that I was living off of you know four and five U.S. dollars a day, and and I and I wasn't living in the gutters. I was living just fine. But you learn how to the bartering system is a real system today. And I think a lot of people forget about that, that, uh, you know, everyone I, I went to when I was in uh, Guatemala for a little bit, I was working with a family and I would do work on their um, on their house and uh, and I would help, uh, you know, build them. I helped them build a website and then they cooked me food for a full month. Like there's always ways to get around it. And I understand some people listening to this podcast. They might that might not be their way because, I mean, that is a different way. That's a different way of traveling for sure. But there's always a way to travel. Always. And if you, you know, you learn the system and you, you can really, you can get to it very, very cheaply. Okay. Fantastic. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back though, we're going to talk about some of those adventures, some of that travel. And I definitely want to get to the world records. I can't wait to hear about those. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water. Using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. 
Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And welcome back. We are talking to Biggers, although I feel obligated to call him Dr. Biggers because of his recent accomplishments and uh, my respect for that title. Um, we heard about your, a little bit about your military service and growing up and, uh, went through a couple of the early segments, but I, I am really intrigued by this, this nugget that you dropped at the very, I think it was before the interview even started in our, our pre-interview discussion about five world records. And so what, what's going on there? I have to hear about these world records. Well, you know, um, so the, uh, the pandemic stopped a lot of us in our tracks, especially a lot of the travelers and, and whatnot. And when it happened, you know, I, I got stuck. Uh, first, I was in Iceland, got stuck. I got out of there. And then I was uh, then I got stuck in Florida for a little bit and then North Carolina. And we just couldn't do a lot of traveling. But I'm one of those types where if I'm not doing something nonstop, I get stir, you know, real stir crazy. And uh, so then I decided to uh, start writing a few books. And that led me to um, applying for some Guinness World Records. And uh, when, when it started, I was just, you know, I, I'm like everybody else, you know, when you see that, you know, that, that little, that certificate, you want one of those for your wall, you know, you just want one of those. And, uh, I was like, all right. But then the, the process is very daunting. You know, it's a very like, you know, scary process. Cause you have to have a certain amount of people there. You have to have a, you know, video recordings from all different directions. You got to have witnesses and stuff like that. And it scares a lot of people off. Well, I decided, you know what, I'm, I'm getting one. So uh, the first one I applied for was the longest cornhole shot. And I was like, you know what? I'm pretty good at cornhole. I can do this. I, I think I can do this. And I had some people in Florida. Cornhole was exploding in 2020. Like, you know, uh, I feel like cornhole, pickleball, and disc golf just exploded over this pandemic, those, those sports. So I was like, you know what? I need, to, I need to get in these sports early and get me some Guinness World Records. Well, um, uh, cra- crazy enough, the record was uh, – was only, it was like 50 feet or something like that, you know? And I was like, you know, I can, I can do a 50 foot shot. I'm sure I've done it before, but the shot is not the hard part. That's what a lot of people trying to get Guinness world records get confused about. It's all of that stuff you have to do to get the Guinness world record to sign off on your attempt. 
You know, like, yeah, there's plenty of people out there that can make the shot, but can you do ABC one, two, three to get that chance? So uh, eventually I got it all set up and I, um, I went out and I was going to go for um, give a, I can give a, a shout out to John Pertile with the St. Petersburg cornhole. He helped me with that one. And um, I was going after longest cornhole shot and longest cornhole shot blindfolded. Cause I was like, I'm already doing it. Let me put a blindfold on and see what happens. So uh, we, uh, we get everything set up. I got the sponsors there. I got the referees there. I got the, uh, I had to have a guy come out and uh, make sure everything was level and all that stuff. And um, so I start practicing and I'm like, you know, I'm already getting nervous because there's a tournament going on at the same time. And I'm just sitting over here all by myself while this tournament's happening. And I'm like, oh man, everyone's like looking over. Well, uh, eight shots in and I sink it and I, be, I, I get the record there. And then I, uh, and then I'm getting ready for the blindfolded one. I'm like, I'm just going to go for it. Take a couple practice shots, get the blindfold on. I have to have someone come over, you know, make sure it's all good to go. Uh, I, I go up for the shot. Everyone gets quiet all of a sudden. And I'm like, what just happened? First shot game Guinness world record blindfolded done. Uh, <laughs> like, and it was just so funny because you go through, I was practicing for hours a day, you know, before this, cause I want to do it. And then, when it all comes down to it, I got the two Guinness world records in nine shots. And I'm wow. like, you got to be kidding. But that's what happens. You know, practice makes perfect after a while. And um, since then, both those records, both those initial records have been broken, but not by a lot. And I have it planned for May to go and break those again. Because, you know, then uh, then I get two more of those certificates. <laughs> you know, that's what it's all about. Um, but at that same time, I uh, then wanted to get some disc golf ones because – Disc golf was exploding. And I noticed um, that this one's one of the funniest ones is that. So I go for the disc golf, uh, the, the longest disc golf ace, which means, you know, throwing a disc straight into the basket, the longest. And there hadn't been one yet because remember, disc golf was just now exploding. So I'm like, all right. So when you're going to set a record that's never been set, the process is a little more extensive. But I end up getting going through it all. And I go out and I, I, I get it. And I break it at like, a, I set it at 101 feet, not very far at all. The funny thing is five days later, that same record is broken by a, a guy who's a pro disc golfer at 550 feet. <laughs> and I am never breaking that one. <laughs> that one is gone. But because I was the one who said it, I still got my certificate. So, you know, I still at one moment, I was the longest uh, disc golf ace. Get to hold so, on to that for a few days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I only had that one for about five days. And then at that same time, I did um, the longest or the, the fastest uh, round of disc golf. So I played uh, 18 holes and just over 14 minutes. Uh, that one was super, super exhausting. And I had to have two people follow me, running behind me. And they had to like monitor it as I was going through because you have to play the full hole. You have to put it in the basket, make sure it settles, come out. That one was, uh, that one was probably the most exhausting but the fifth and final one, I'm mostly proud of. This is my this is my pride of joy, and uh, my dad always laughs at me because uh, I have it sit, sitting right next to my doctorate. So you know, I put that, book, and he always laughs at me because he always asks me like, you know, which one you, are you more proud of? Right. And I'm like, eh, you know, several people have doctorates. Not a lot of people have this Guinness World Record, and the reason is is because this Guinness World Record is for the most donuts stacked in one minute blindfolded. And it was the hardest record of all of them to do. 
this record, I, I'm telling you, I sat, I have on, I probably have nine hours of camera footage trying to get this record because it's, it was only nine donuts, but that's not the, but people don't realize all the stuff before that. These donuts have to be made specifically for the thing. So you have to show the making process. They have to be two, two inches, two and three quarter inches. So just under three inches. So now stack up three inches times nine. You're looking at 27 inches. That is a high thing. And then once you get it up to it, it has to sit still for five seconds before it falls over. And mine sat still for 5.2 seconds, like down to the man. And I was so nervous because once you get it all done, then you have to send everything in to an elective, uh, one of the GWR officials. They have to go through everything and they'll ask you questions and stuff like that to verify everything's good. And I was so scared that I wasn't going to get it. Then I was going to have to do the rest. Man, when that one came in, I was a happy camper to get that one. But, donut stacking. That sounds like a, a survivor challenge. You watch Survivor? Yeah, yeah, I right? know. Yeah. 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 yeah, exactly. But, <laughs> you know, the biggest the, the biggest takeaway from all this was when the pandemic was happening, a lot of people allowed it to get them down. And I didn't want to. And I, you know, wanted to do something more. And I, I've always kind of thought it would be cool to, you know, I have a very competitive nature if no one can tell. Um, and it's, you know, it was just one of those cool things. And it was a, it was an eye-opening experience and, uh, just a, a really cool thing. And since then I've helped a few other individuals go after their Guinness world records and a couple of them have gotten them actually. So it, it's one of those things I think a lot of people, uh, think is unattainable kind of like some of these hikes. A lot of people think they're, Oh, I'm just too normal. I'm too average. I can't mm-hmm. and no, anybody can do these hikes. Right. They can they just have to have the right mindset. You can get up them. And uh, I think that's kind of what I hope that I showed some people getting this Guinness World Records. It wasn't about their certificates. It wasn't about any of that. It was more about showing that uh, attainability, that it is possible to get anything you want. Because, I mean, when you talk to I, – I, me personally, I haven't talked to a lot of people that have a Guinness World Record. And before I got one, it kind of seems like one of those things that's unattainable. But it is. Anyone can do it. You know, I was excited to have a uh, world adventurer – professor, uh, former military guest on the show, but I, you know, I I did not realize that I had the donut stacking world record (laughs) holder in in the Uh. studio. So, uh, wow. What an episode. (laughs) That's great. All right. Hey, let's go back to 2017. You talked about a little bit earlier before the break about uh, taking the sleep and, and going to Thailand. What led up to that? What's, I know that you've been out of the military uh, for a bit and what led to that decision to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to, did you sell everything? Did you get rid of everything? And you decide I'm going to, I'm going to live a life of travel. This is the direction I want to go. You know, I, my, I can't say that I had that type that uh, I can't say I had that type of direction and I was that, you know, disciplined in, in, in essence, but it was kind of like, you know, I got a storage unit. Uh, put everything in the storage unit. I uh, didn't have, I sold my, sold my car. Um, I had a, I had a motorcycle, put it in the storage unit, everything. And it was more about, I was kind of, you know, when you're, when you live in the military and you're in the military for so long, you're taking orders, you, but you earn, you understand structure and you understand, you know, this works this way. You do this, you do that, you, you do this, you do that. And then, you know, everything goes well, but when, you know, it was taken away from me so fast after getting hurt and stuff like that. And you, I didn't, I got a little lost. I was confused and I didn't really know exactly where I was at. And I just felt like I had no direction. And I think it was just one day 
uh, I saw like this clip on uh, a commercial talking about come to Bangkok where dreams come true. And as funny as it is, I, it just stuck with me. It just stuck with me. So I spent about a month, you know, creating an, an Instagram handle and, you know, getting a few pictures because Instagram was, you know, it was obviously around well before 2017, but it was just getting pretty dang, pretty dang big. And, um, you know, I, I made a YouTube channel and I got all saying, and of course I, 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 I thought, you know what? Everyone's going to want to follow me. Why wouldn't they want to follow me? Well, you learn really fast that it is a lot harder than that to get the followers and get people to, to think you have to find unique ways to do things. And, um, yeah, so I just, I put everything in and went for it and, uh, you know, didn't really have much to fall on, but the one thing I really did, I think really helped me is at that time. So I got uh, 15, 17. So at that time, that moment I was finishing my MBA and, uh, and all, well, I'd already done the first year, like in, in classrooms and stuff like that. And the second year, you know, was mostly a lot of the writing stuff. So we were able to do it remotely. So I think having that connection with like other students and stuff, even though none of them knew what I was doing, you know, you had your discussion boards and stuff like that. I think that kind of kept me kind of grounded and able to travel and just go on this crazy experience and go for it and still kind of have some of that you know, structure in a lot of ways. I don't know if, it, I don't know if a lot of people understand what I'm saying there, but I think some people might, and it's just kind of like, uh, yeah, I was like, let's just go for it and see what happens. And, you know, I started working at a hostel was the first thing. Cause, uh, I quickly realized, you know, a thousand dollars wasn't going to go very far. So I started, I, I started slowly and started figuring out how to cut out certain expenses. So first I went with hostel, and if you work at a hostel and a lot of the and a lot of different websites, you can find jobs with them. And they take people of all ages. I've seen there's 50, 60 year olds working there. There's 18, 19 year olds working there and they'll, they'll pay for your accommodations and give you food. So right there, I just knocked out two of the largest expenses nice. uh, right, right off the bat. Nice. And now in the, in the five years since you've been to more than 140 countries, I believe 141, 141. Altogether. Yeah, yeah. Can you give me a quick top five? What are, what are your top five places that you visited? Oof, that is tough, you know, because that's the number one question I get. Yeah, probably right? number one. You knew and, it was coming. Uh, uh, yeah, I, you know, it's, it's so hard because every country has so many great things. But um, I would say um, Bosnia was amazing. I would say Guatemala is up there. Um, Argentina is up there. Uh, Thailand, still one of, the, one of the top ones. And then Japan would uh it, you know if i could live anywhere and money was no option it would probably be japan the the culture the people they're so welcoming they're so nice and uh, and there's just so much outdoors mm-hmm. in in japan to do the only problem is thailand is very similar in a lot of ways but about a quarter of the price so it kind of makes thailand even more uh you know more, more well or more interesting but yeah you know when it comes to hiking though Guatemala is that top is that top list is just the hikes in Guatemala are just quite amazing. Like Acatenango. Acatenango. Yeah, I, just, I, just wanted, I just wanted to say it. It was awesome. Yeah. I, I know. I, I've noticed you like that word. You like that word a lot. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, Biggers, there, there's a group of people out there that uh, their quest 
their their mission is to visit every recognized country out there. And I think there's 198 of them. If I'm if I, I may, may, may be wrong on that, but I think it's in that neighborhood. It is, is that it is, is that is that a a goal of yours to get to every single country? You know, when it started, uh, it was uh, it was kind of one of those big goals. I know uh, when I started, I know Drew Binsky. He's a huge YouTuber and stuff like that. And he he was on his mission to go after. It. And I was like, yeah, you know, that's kind of one. But, you know, honestly, as I've as I've done it, I've learned that, uh, you know, if it if it happens, it happens. But it, no, it's not it's not a main goal anymore because it's it's really uh, everything's kind of transitioned in a lot of ways. And I've learned that, like, I kind of prefer, you know, teaching people mm-hmm. how to how to go after what, you know, what their dreams are. And, you know, it was in the beginning it was all about accomplishing a task. But no, not now, you know, and I think I'll get really close. But there are some countries that are very, very difficult to get into, um, especially having a military background. And uh, sometimes like when I went to Russia the first time, I man, I was in the I was in the interrogation room for a while. It took almost an hour to get in. I did get in and they were nice. Everything was fine once I was in and stuff like that. And, and who knows why I was flagged going in. It could have been, you know, I just got done with Turkey and or Saudi. Right. You know, there's certain countries that if you have that country's seal on your passport, they won't let you into the next one. So it is a, it's definitely a, a tough process for sure. Yeah. And there are also some unrecognized countries out there that uh, claim to exist. They, they've, they've, they're not right. Re- though they're not recognized. They have their own borders. They have yeah. uh, their own monetary system. Uh, one of the, one of the most creative and interesting ones that I've found um, from a former guest on the podcast is this country called Sealand. Have you heard of Sealand? I, I know I've heard of it before. Uh, yeah. But so uh, where was it located at? So in World War II, you had these anti-aircraft platforms in the North Sea off the coast of England. Okay. About 40 miles off the coast. And then you know, when the war was over, these kind of uh, were abandoned. And so this okay. family moved into uh, moved onto one of these platforms and claimed it as their own and claimed their own sovereignty and named it Sealand. There's only okay. been about uh, three or four people living on it at any one time. And to actually get up to the, 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 the platform, you have to sit in a sling and be winched up. So uh, sounds amazing. Very, very interesting. Yeah. Sealand, look it up if you have a chance. Yeah, for sure. And then there's also a group of travelers out there that are really interested in dark tourism. Have you heard about that? Dark tourism? No, no. Where they go to, they go to like places that have experienced, uh, you know, horrible things. It's, it's kind of a, yeah. a weird twist on it. Like people going to the Chernobyl exclusion zone, which would be very yeah. difficult uh, at the current moment with everything going on yeah. in that area. But uh, the concentration camps in, in, in Germany and Poland, um, other types of just, you know, dark areas, places with a, with a dark history, I guess, I would probably be the best way to describe it. I mean, travelers are as when you look at the thing we're talking about the rating systems with, with hikers, travelers right. are the, travelers are the same way. Everyone has their 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 reason for doing something. And I think it's the one thing that I think traveling abroad has taught me the most is, you know, no judgment. People do their things for the reason they want them to. And it's not my it's not my responsibility to show them how to do it my way. It's the it's the individual's responsibility to find their own way. So if they enjoy doing things like that, that's, that's all on them. 
me personally, I love cuddly animals and I love, I love going to places and doing the animals, but I can definitely understand that, you know, that dark tourism thing could be very uh, enlightening and very humbling in a lot of manners as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about what you have developed as a result of your world travels, uh, your social media, uh, your website. I love the, the title of your website, tiredofworking.com. Uh, yeah, take, a, yeah. take us through a little bit. If someone were to go on there, what, what would they find? Well, they find adventures of me all over the world. And, uh, you know, I have lots of articles on there showing, you know, how to start becoming a blogger, how to do this, how to do that. And I have, and I have a few, uh, uh, you know, there's probably over, there's hundreds of blogs on, on, on throughout my website and hundreds of different articles I've written. And, you know, the biggest thing is, is someone can read as many times as they want, you know, how to do something, but it's on the person. The person has to take that first step. They, they got to take that step. And I, and I, that's what I hope when someone goes to my website, they see the adventures, they see me hanging out with elephants and, you know, koalas and uh, sloths and stuff. And they're like, you know what? That's what I needed to see. That's what I needed to see to get me off this couch and just taking that one way ticket. And hopefully that's what they get from it. That's right. And I like, I like something you said right there, this, that or maybe a little bit earlier that this is, this may not be for everybody. I mean, your, your style of traveling may not be for everybody, but I would, 100%. I would pose that, you know, a lot of what we talk about on this podcast is not for everybody. Long distance through hiking, not for everybody. Big wall climbing, not for everybody. <laughs> that is so um, true. Cause it is definitely not some, some of that long distance hiking. Oh my, oh my. Yeah. Mountaineering, getting to the top of Mount Everest, not for everybody, but you know what? The, the adventure tree is a large tree with lots of branches. And if something if something hits your fancy and uh, interests you from listening to this or listening to, or, or visiting bigger's website or social media, then there you go. I mean, we're just looking out, we're looking for things out there that, that really interest us and, and uh, speak to us. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And I think that's the most important thing is just finding your reason and going for it, no matter mm-hmm. your age, no matter. And that's the thing too, uh, while I've been traveling abroad, you know, I've met, I've met people as young as, you know, 17 and finishing high school and, you know, tra- starting their travels uh, around the world. And then I met people as old as 92 was my oldest one I met. And they were staying at a hostel in Poland. And it was amazing. Like uh, the, the fact that a 92 year old can be hanging out with a 17 year old and talking about world travels. What's better than that? Now, you said you had five books. You've written five books. What, what are the what are the subject? What's the subject matter of your books? Uh, all on traveling, pretty much okay. like uh, so. Um, so Two of them go into traveling, um, you know, how to how to go about beginning your travels. And then I have one that I wrote with a uh, um, a female author. And we wrote and we wrote a book about talking about dating abroad in different countries and kind of how, you know, men look at some things one way and women look at something uh, another way. And, and the cultural differences and stuff like that, like if you throw uh, an English speaking male into a room with a, uh, you know, a Japanese speaking female. There's some cultural differences there. And mm-hmm. it was just, it was more of just a book I want after dating, uh, you know, people around the world. It was just kind of something that I thought people would be interested in reading with, uh, you know, just different stories on how that some of those things work. Okay. Now let's, uh, let's head to Guatemala and visit that place that we all, we all love saying, Acatenango. Uh, tell us, tell us about your experiences there and your adventures. Well, like, like I mentioned earlier, Guatemala is one of my top fives. It's an amazing place. And uh, it, when you get there, uh, 
everyone goes to uh, the same place, you know, you, you, you definitely, uh, when you get into Antigua and then you go from Guatemala city up there and it's a very, uh, it's a very welcoming city. Um, English is spoke pretty, uh, is, it, there's, there's definitely some English speaking there and uh, more or less the people just, you know, they don't look down upon you if you don't, if you don't know Spanish yet. And there's a lot of different Spanish schools that'll teach you. And what Ocotenango is probably a top tourist attraction there. And there's three of them. There's Pacaya, Ocotenango, and Fuego. And they go up in that order. Pacaya is, you know, a, a four kilometer hike. It's a, it's not that long. And, and you get to, and you can see lava just flowing down. You can roast a marshmallow on the lava. We've done that before. Like you can roast it and eat it right there. It's very cool, but it's not, it's not an incredible hard hike. It's a very simple hike. And then once you do Pacaya, you go to Acatenango. Acatenango is a, uh, I say it's a medium hike. Uh, it's not super difficult, but it's not super easy either. It's it's in the middle, and it's about uh, five to six hours generally, so probably close to ten to twelve miles or so. And uh, you hike from the bottom, and uh, you hike up the top, and a lot of different like services will do it with you there. And you know the hike starts off very um, very open and green and pretty, and you're like, yay, oh my. And then it just goes to this area where it's just rock formations going up the, you know, the, the mountain at like a, a 70 degree angle. And you're just like, this is the worst thing ever. And it gets, you know, it does get a little, a uh, little better and easier after that. But I did it in 2017. Uh, and then I did it again last year. And uh, the crazy, so the hike is, is difficult or is like, you know, mediocrely difficult, but it's not like super hard. But then, Anyone who's feeling it can go for the double whammy. And the double whammy is Fuego. And what happens is when you get to the top of Acatenango, which, you know, now you've been hiking from 9, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Uh, and five hours is going pretty quick. But so you get up there and now you just you're up on top of a volcano. You can look across the Fuego and see the lava erupting. And it's just amazing. But now you have a choice. And this is where the choices get interesting. So when you get up to the top, they're like, all right, guys. So you have two choices. You can sit here. You can eat. You can roast marshmallows. You can drink wine. And you can enjoy the set, the sunset and just enjoy yourself. Or you can go on another eight to 10-hour hike. Back down Ocotenango. Then up Fuego. Then back down Fuego. And back up Ocotenango. And we'll have you here by midnight. Uh, well, the competitive nature was like, you know what? I'm in, I'm in. And I was expecting people behind me to also say they were in. They were not, they were not. So it was only me. So me and a, uh, a younger, uh, Guatemalan man who can hike circles around me does not speak a word of English, nothing. And my Spanish in 2017 was mediocre at best. I'm proud to say it's much better now, but it was not that good. Well, I'm like, all right, you know, I think it's, uh, we ended up getting stuck when we went up. So uh, I think something happened and someone, I think someone had to leave the hike early. So we didn't end up getting up there until about 4 p.m., um, which is a little late to start Fuego. Well, we go for it anyways. And, you know, some hikers will understand this, but I, I look at it as kind of like the saying of quicksand. Once one thing goes wrong, it just doesn't stop. It just does not stop. 
And there is nothing, there's almost nothing that is more demoralizing when you're hiking than when things start going wrong as you start going down. So me and so me and this guy, I mean this gentleman, we start hiking down uh Ocotenango. Going and so I, I don't know if I'm one of the minorities here. I think I may be, but going down a mountain is much easier for me than going up a mountain. Way easier. And I know I've talked to some hikers, they're they're the complete opposite. And they'd rather go up than down. Down hurts their knees a lot more. For me, right. going down is so I can run down and it's so much easier. Um so, but so I uh we start going down and I'm I'm cruising. I'm boom. we get down that mountain probably an hour, hour and a half. He's of course, you know, way way in front of me, but I I'm keeping up somewhere. I can at least see him. And he's as we're going down, putting little markers around trees. I didn't know, I didn't understand why just yet. Because yet again, when uh I did it through uh, with Tropicana Hostel, and we had and they have their own base camp, and all these different hostels and hotels have their own base camp. However, from Tropicana Hostel going down, there is no trail. There isn't like a trail that's been done. We're going over rock faces. We're, we're sliding down things. And as we're going down, he, I, I eventually figure out on the miserable way back up, we'll get to in a second, that he was making sure we knew how to get back up. So he was cracking glow sticks, putting them up there. We get down to the bottom and uh, I'm okay. I'm feeling, I'm feeling decent. We've been hiking now for close to seven, eight hours straight. And now I got to go up Fuego. Fuego isn't, it's not quite as, um, as long as Ocotenango. Um, so, you know, maybe uh, two hours, you can just, you can go up the top if you can go. However, my legs and knees, they ain't feeling that good. So we sl- we start slowly going up. And uh, as we're going up, the, the clouds are coming in. The sun is going down. And we have to get to the top at a certain time or I don't get any pictures or anything. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, it's about the memory. It's about, okay, I agree 99% of the time. But when you've been hiking for 10 hours, you want a picture at the top of that mountain. You want one. Because the thing is, too, you don't stay up there. You can't stay at the top of Bacchus or uh, the top of Fuego because Fuego is erupting. So you can't stay up there. So we uh, we eventually get up there. I'm I'm really worn out. and the the sun caught us so now it's dark the clouds come in temperature drops it me uh the my high my uh the the hiking guide is now like all right let's uh let's try to wait this out because it starts even sprinkling on us so not it got me and him we get you know we're start cuddling pretty much you know next to this rock just hiding down because the wind is coming across you know your thousands and thousands of uh uh, feet up. So it's like, it's coming in. It's freezing. I didn't bring gloves. I didn't bring anything because we had just dropped all our stuff off at uh, the base camp. And I didn't even think I didn't put it all together. So I had nothing, nothing on this hike. So we get to the top. I am miserable, miserable on any level. And it gets to the point where the clouds come in. I can't even see the. I can't even see the eruption anymore because you're so close and you're so close to it. So you can hear it but you can't see it because the clouds are in now. And it was just, oh, it was so, so miserable. So then he's like, uh, meaning want to go back down. And it's probably, you know, it's going on. For those of you who missed it, who aren't watching on YouTube, uh, Biggers did a little pointing action with his finger, like pointing down in the downward direction. Let's get out of here. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and he's like, uh, you, uh, and he's like, and he's just giving me, uh, you, well, we're using a lot of hand motions. And um, so I'm like, yeah, let's, let's go. And now keep in mind, you've been hiking for, you know, eight to 10 hours and you just missed out on the one thing you wanted to see on this whole, the, the, the going up there. What is the point of going, doing the double whammy if there's nothing at the, at the end, but now I have to go back down Fuego and back up Ocotenango before you know before midnight or one because there's another hike you have to do in the morning we'll get to that in a second so now we're going down i am miserable i'm i'm not gonna lie i'm i'm saying words that i oh i'm cut i am so miserable at this point we get down to the bottom take a quick break and now we got to go back up Akatenango. now the hike back up is not as long as the initial hike up but it is steeper and as we go up, we start noticing we see no glow sticks. Something happened and the glow sticks are not like they're not still there. They've fallen. So we start. But he this, this guy has definitely done this hundreds and hundreds of times. So we start finding our way up. We get a little lost. My knees are done. I'm done. We're, we're, we're 12, 14 hours in now. I can't. I'm done. And the guide is. You know, I'm, I'm 190 pounds, six foot tall. The guide is, you know, maybe half my size. I mean, this guy, the guy is not a big guy. And he's now having to like, you know, put my, all my weight on him a little bit to get me up this thing. While we were running down Ocotenango um, to get to Fuego originally, I, of course, twist a little bit of an ankle, you know, and it's like, but you, you know, I should have stopped there and went back up. I should have, but we all, all hikers know that little, we got that angel and that devil on our shoulders sometimes. And sometimes the other one wins. And, it, you know, I'm just like, I can do this. I got this. Um, so now we're going back up. I, I'm hurt. I'm miserable. I'm tired. Eventually we get to the top and our, our guy is completely, he's completely lost. So now he's yelling out signals, like words, trying to get the guys at the top to yell back. And eventually it happens. And uh, we figure out where we're at. Another guy runs down, grabs me. Now I got two guides like, slowly carrying me up a rock face that is super steep. And eventually I get back up to base camp. It's about 1 a.m. Um, I'm miserable, beat up. I didn't see the sunset. I didn't get to roast a marshmallow. I didn't get to drink wine. I didn't, I, I hadn't eaten yet. So, I mean, and the guides are, the guides are phenomenal. They made me, they made me dinner right then. They made sure I was okay. And then, um, and then in the morning, you got to get up to go see the sunset on back on Akatenango. That's a big part of the hike. Well, in 2017, Joshua did not wake up for that morning hike because I couldn't move. I was just done. You know, Fuego got me. Uh, and, and, you know, some hikers, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, it, they'd be good to go. But I remember I'm that 4.5 hiker. So, <laughs> you know, a 4.5 hiker has got to think about these things. And anyone who has done Akatenango and Fuego in the same day, knows how it is it's not an easy hike so in 2017 i don't eat i i wake up at like you know 7 a.m they're all back from the sunset i didn't i saw nothing it was <laughs> a miserable miserable experience you got so fast, go ahead i said you got fuegoed without a doubt i yes. got straight fuego and <laughs> so fast forward a few years and now it's 2021 i'm back over in guatemala uh, the pandemic is slowly settling. I believe it was November of last year. And uh, 
so then I get another opportunity to do Akatenango again. And this thought, time now Biggers, I thought you were going to say they offered you that choice, that that decision of you know one of two options, and you said you know what? I'm going to take the wine and the marshmallows this time. So so they do eventually. So we uh, we get to Akatenango. <laughs> Crazy enough, the same guide is there, and now I can oh he he had to, he had to be shaking his head when he saw you show up. Without a doubt, it was hilarious, <laughs> and I have pictures of us together four years apart. And now I can speak Spanish a lot better. So now we're having conversations and he's just like, man, I didn't know if you would live after that. Like, like the way he was talking, it was hilarious. <laughs> and so we get up, we, uh, we got the whole group and uh, we get up to the top and now they're offering double whammy time. Now I've done this. So there are a few people that are thinking about doing it. And I, 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 I sit down and I ask him, I'm like, guys, I want you to think about this. What is your real reason for wanting to go do it? And by the end of the conversation, they're like, all right, you know what? I'll just, I'll stay here for this time because I'm coming back next year. So I can do it then if I want. We ended up all staying together. There was about 12 of us, had one of the most magical, amazing nights ever. It was phenomenal. The clouds ended up coming in anyway. So those guys would have got stuck. So it ended up working out for them. Uh, by the end, they were, as soon as we got off the mountain, they were ready to buy me a red stripe and just like, dude, you're the, thank you so much. And, and, you know, it was, it is a chance thing. And, you know, eventually I'm sure they'll go back and want to do Fuego, but the, we had an amazing experience. We all just sat around, hung out. The, uh, there was three German guys with us and we didn't realize why their backpack was so heavy. Cause they didn't tell us we get to the top. These three German guys have two huge bottles of vodka and a 24 pack of beer. And we're like, what just happened? Like, uh, what? only the German hikers would do. And these German hikers, I mean, they were running up the side of this mountain. These guys, they're 21, 22 years old, have more energy than uh, anyone could even think about. And uh, it was just an amazing experience. And then in the morning, I woke up, went and saw the sunset. It was phenomenal. Everything was so much better the second time around. You saw the sunset in the morning? Or the sunrise, sunrise. Yeah. No, not now I'm like mixing it all up. <laughs> now, when when three Germans pull out two two huge bottles of vodka and a 24 pack of beer, you know what we call that? That's trail magic right there. They, and they made some trail magic for sure. And these and the crazy thing, I'm not even kidding you. They were probably up till 3 a.m. And we all got up at 5 a.m. to do this hike. And they were all still in the front. And it was just you're just like. You don't mess with German hikers, man. German hikers know how to do it. They do. They do. All right. Hey, Biggers, what's, what's next on your adventure list? What's the next big trip you're taking? Um, so I got two coming up, or two large ones. Uh, so I'm going back to Bermuda in, um, in August. So I'm pretty excited about that. I haven't been there in a few years. And it'd be nice to like uh, just really sit down and relax a little bit. And then in the beginning of January, I have a huge one going over to China to do celebrate the Chinese New Year's with them. And uh, I'm super excited about that because we're going to I'm going to go to Mongolia, the Philippines uh, and a few other different places over there. But spending like big holidays in, in, uh, in other countries, you just learn a whole nother thing. Like this year I was I, I was in Brazil for Carnival and it kind of got canceled, but it kind of didn't like it was a little because they're, they're redoing it this month, technically. But oh, I can tell you firsthand. It didn't slow us down in, uh, in February celebrating Carnival in Brazil. 
And when you go to these places, you just, oof, it's just amazing experience because you see, you see the true culture at its finest in a lot of them on, you know, you know, just really exploring how they, how they, how they celebrate these, these holidays. So I'm pretty excited about the Chinese one. That sounds great. Hey, Biggers, you know where we are? Um, probably at something where I have to talk about something uh, that I believe in. That's close. That's close. The pro tip insight of the week. We're at that time of the episode where you share your pro tip insight of the week. What bit of of travel wisdom or trail wisdom can you share with our listeners to make their next uh, travel experience even better? Um, I can give, I can give one of each with trail wisdom. You do not forget your snacks. Just don't forget your snacks. And it's not just for nutrition. It's because sometimes, you know, you're just sitting there and you're so miserable that a snack can make your whole mood better. Uh, so do not forget your snacks. I never forget my peanut M&Ms and I don't eat candy. It's the only candy I eat. And I always have me a bag, huge bag of peanut M&Ms when I'm walking up any type of bike. It's not really a candy. It's got some protein in there. So I, exactly, I, right? I, I think you're right on. Some protein. And then uh, when it comes to traveling, I would say, the number one thing um, I would say, and this is more or less for American travelers, because the rest of the world's kind of already figured it out. But with American travelers, hostels are amazing places to stay. Do not think that hostels are like the movie Hostel. <laughs> that that yeah, horror right. movie is not a representation of a hostel. Hostels are, the, the easiest way to think about them is think about uh, like a mini summer camp. You know, there are bunk beds, but there are also private rooms. You don't have to stay in a bunk bed. You know, uh, one of the one of my sponsors, HostelWorld.com. Uh, it's a great app to use and they give reviews just like Airbnb. So you can look up the reviews of other people when they were there. They give you age ranges as well. So you can see what a 40 year old reviews this hostel. So depending on your age or whatnot, anyone can stay at hostels. They're amazing places. And I would say for anyone who hasn't stayed at one. It should be on your bucket list to stay at a hostel at least once. Okay, fantastic. So there you have it. That's it. This episode is just about in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Biggers. Want to thank him for joining us this week. Dr. Biggers, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? Um, you can uh, you can be with me on uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of those through Biggers World. That's B-I-G-G-E-R-S World. And then also tiredofworking.com is one of my websites. And the, uh, the other one is the trusted nomad.com and, uh, the trusted nomad is more about like, it gives you things to help you become a better blogger and gives you ways to actually start your blogging experience and tired of working follows all my, um, all my adventures. Okay. Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. No TikTok account yet. Biggers. Ah, I haven't went into the TikTok world just yet. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakamir at gmail.com. The adventure media recommendation. Joshua, I'm also looking to you to share a recommendation for a book, a movie, a documentary, some kind of uh, adventure media. And we're calling this our adventure media recommendation. What do you have for us? Ooh, trying to think. Uh, there's that new one. I actually, uh, I need to watch it. It's on Netflix about the, the, the world peaks. Have you seen that one yet? It's like the, the 14 world peaks or whatnot. Uh, is that with Nims die? I believe so. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. Uh, is it incredible? I've heard yeah. so many people review it and I just haven't had the time to watch it, but I know that one's probably amazing. 
And uh, so I'm not only giving a review to everyone else, I'm giving a review to myself to also watch this, uh, this uh, thing. Nice. Okay. What have we not asked you? Oh, wow. Uh, before we wrap things up, I just got one more segment for you called, what have I not asked you that you're dying to tell us about? What do we miss? Uh, oh, I feel like we've talked about my entire life already. <laughs> I feel like we've been on this thing for like four years. Uh, no, I think you've, you've asked me pretty much everything here. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I went from soldier to, you know, traveler to professor and, uh, you know, I, I think, I hope I've, I hope I've given some people some inspiration into, you know, nine to five. I understand a nine to five job is a necessary, it's a necessary evil for many, for many people. But if you are able to be able to do the remote thing or the nine to five or get rid of the nine to five thing, it, it could also, it could be an amazing experience for you just to go out and, you know, try to see if the, the, the like the, the nomadic life is for you. Yeah, you went from soldier to traveler to professor to world record holder. Don't forget that. Can't forget. I mean, when it comes to donuts, stacking them donuts, I'm good to go. <laughs> he knows he knows his donut stacking. Okay. Hey, that's a wrap from the John Freaky Mirror Studio. Any shout outs to friends and family biggers? Uh, well, all, to everyone that follows me and, uh, and, you know, DMs me on all my social media platforms. Just, hey, keep, keep doing it and uh, keep going after your dreams and making them bigger and bigger. Okay. Thank you for tuning in. And always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you've been carried halfway up the mountain by your Guatemalan guides. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck.